0: pray together. Our Father, we're thankful for the lessons that we've learned in song this morning. We're too thankful for the encouragement, of those who can sing those songs knowing all that you've allowed in their lives, in our own lives that we can articulate the truths that we have this morning. of Trust in you, regardless of the circumstances, is an amazing thing. It's a thing that you give. And Lord, we pray that as we look into your word now, that you would comfort us and teach us richly from it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll have to bear with me for a second. I'm having some issues with my notes this morning. um, Which is very odd, because at about 7 o'clock this morning, when I wrapped up, everything was saved and in a folder. And now it is not. (laughs) So, the message either will go very long today or it'll go very short. Um, but I, for whatever reason, the Lord is not allowing me to pull up those notes. So take your Bibles, and we're going to turn to chapter 14 of the book of John. And as you're doing that, this morning I wanted to give my condolences to the Badig and Wazoleski family, and to you, Mrs. Miozzi. Miss Miozzi. Um, I know that after 40 plus years of being married even though you weren't married anymore that that has a lot and uh, we're praying for you this morning as well and I'm so thankful for your faithfulness given all that the Lord has allowed you to persevere in your life and still come to him is an incredible testimony to anybody who knows what God's done in your heart so thank you for being here this morning and we love you give you a big hug on your way out this this morning as well. We'll take your Bibles and turn to John chapter fourteen. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are. Uh, this is our textbook, the Bible. Uh, it's really more than just a textbook here at Grace Church of Menor. It is our. It is truth for our lives. And uh, so, if you need a Bible this morning, uh, we don't want to. We don't want to embarrass you, but. One day we'll get Bibles in every seat, but uh, for now, if you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. Uh, we certainly have Bibles, that, or perhaps you forgot a Bible today. You don't have to be a visitor to, to not have a Bible. Um, and you can certainly Google John chapter 14 and follow along with us there this morning. But you know, as we, as we look at this text, I want to just ask a few questions to you this morning. Have you ever been internationally, traveled, gone through the airport, maybe seen signs that you cannot read, hear words that you do not understand, and felt like, oh my, I am in a different place. I am not at home anymore. Or perhaps like, me, you have driven past your old house that you grew up at. The street that you used to walk barefoot on. Maybe even where you cut your foot because of that. Where your parents used to always yell at you to put shoes and socks on. You go there and it all together seems strange and different and changed. You realize the home you remember is no longer. Or perhaps for some of you who it's been a while since you've been back on your high school or college campus and you go to a reunion or you're there for some event and everything that you seem to remember has been repainted, even changed. It's just not like home anymore. Well, Jesus... Jesus gives us a little sense of that as he's going through the upper room discourse. In John chapter 14, verse 1, remember, Jesus tells us these words, Do not let your heart be what? Be troubled. In my Father's house, he says in verse 2, are many, many dwelling places. And we appreciate that and, and we long for that, but the very, the very statement that Jesus makes there assumes something, that we are not yet home. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Though we are looking and longing to be with Jesus, there is trouble, and I was watching some of you sing, knowing that you are trusting in God, but yet there is trouble in your life. And we try to take Jesus' words, don't we? Do not let your hearts be troubled. And in some sense, we try to reconcile them with what our lives feel like today. And they do feel distressed. They do feel full of trouble. And so there's there's a bit of a paradox that Jesus brings up to us here especially as you go further into our text this morning. In John chapter 14, look at verse 23 with me. Jesus says to them, this is further into the, into the discourse, he says to them, this, as we read it this morning, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now that's the third time, I believe, since Jesus said that in verse 15. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to actually show it in a very particular way. So that's important. But then he goes on to say this. And my father will love him. That's incredible. But he goes on to say something even more incredible here. And we will come to him, anyone who loves me, and we will make our abode with him. We will make our house with him. We will make our many dwelling places with him. That's the same word, and used only one other time in John chapter 14, verse 2, where Jesus says, Don't let your heart be troubled, verse 1. I am going to prepare a place for you. That's the same word. Jesus is preparing a place. But believer, though you are not at that place now, Jesus wants you to be confident. He wants you to be assured. He wants you to be persuaded that you are not left to trouble and to distress and to fear and to worry. Because the Godhead has made a home in you. And what does that look like this morning? Folks, I don't quite understand all of that. Just like you can't wrap your heads around the Godhead dwelling in us this morning. But we can appreciate some illustrations and some of the best illustrations that we have are from the scriptures, aren't they? When when we're told about the New Testament church and what that looks like, we're told that we are a family. That's why we use that word here. Because we're a family in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a family picture. We're told that we are a temple of the living God. That the Spirit of God actually indwells us. Just like the temple so long ago for the Israel's Israelites And for the, for the Jews, before that, the tabernacle, as they, were, as they were actually laying it out, trying to meet with God there, then picking it all back up and carrying it with them for 40 years and 40 long, long years. And then they finally have the temple, and they get to see the presence of God and, and feel the presence of God. But the New Testament says that you have the temple. You are the temple. And the Spirit of God dwells you. It also tells us that we are like a husband and a wife. We have that kind of a relationship with Jesus, just like Jesus has with the church. That kind of intimate, abiding relationship that a husband and wife is supposed to picture. Jesus has that kind of a relationship with us. In fact, in some senses, by the whole design and sovereignty of God Himself, He designed marriage not just to not to just procreate and fulfill the multiply the earth and fulfill it, and to fill it, I should say. But He actually He actually designed marriage for you and for me to picture Jesus' care for His church. That's an incredible thing, and so we can can draw on and build from some of these illustrations as to how it is that God, the Godhead, could abide, make their home in us. And so though you may have trouble this morning, my question simply put to you, is, is the Godhead abiding in you? Does, do you have, is God at home in your life? And, you know, just like a family has its quirks, right? We were over at a friend's house last night, and, and they looked at my girls, who are all very polite and not very loud. And I'll tell you why in a second. But he looked at his kids, and they were loud, and they were screaming. He said, well, you're, you're, your girls are not loud like, like we are. And I said, I looked over at him, I said, yeah, it's only because they're still stuffing their faces with the chocolate brownies that they have. Just wait. Right? We all have our quirks as a family, and maybe as two families come together under marriage, it's, it's a delight, and it's a little bit of a, a surprise to find out some of the quirks, isn't it? I found a lot of quirks out about Sharla. I'm the, I'm the one up here, so I get to say that. Right. And it's just, I know what you're thinking, it's a miracle she's with me this morning. She's still with me this morning. Because we are quirky people. And if you don't think you're quirky, God help your spouse. <laughs> really. Because you are, that's that's part of marriage, is learning about just how quirky we are. But the reality is, is there are things that my girls do, not because I grew up doing them, but be, it's because... Charlotte grew up doing them. And, and so now they're, 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 they're part of the warp and the woof of our family. That's the beauty of family, is we become like each other. That's the beauty of what Jesus is saying here, is when the Godhead, it bodes with you, when they dwell with you, my friends, you become like them, him. You become like Jesus, And so, this morning, I want to look at four, probably very quick, four assurances or provisions that Jesus gives us in relationship to the comfort, the conviction that we are to live life even though we are not in the Father's home. So, four provisions. And let's read our text this morning, at least part of it. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, Judas, Iscariot has already left the scene. Judas said to him, Jesus, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And so what's going on here in the first provision? The first provision simply is that Jesus is reminding them of the resurrection. And we'll see that here in the context, uh, but the first provision is that Jesus is reminding them of the, uh, them of the resurrection, and so because you live, I will also, or because I live, you will also live too. Even though I go away, you are going to live, and I am coming back. That's the provision of the resurrection. You see, Judas says, how are you going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world you see that? Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show myself to you. And Judas picks up on that and he says, Well, how are you not going to reveal yourself to the world? And what's going on here? Well, simply, you know, the Old Testament Jew, and really the disciples at this point, they have a lot of Old Testament in their heads. And they're trying to reconcile what Jesus often says with what they've read in Scripture and what they've been taught all their lives. And one of the things that they've been taught all their lives is that the Messiah is coming, and they were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And finally, he's here. And what's the next thing in their calendar? The Messiah is going to reveal himself to the world full of radiant splendor, and all the nations, what? Will bow to him and worship. We don't have time this morning, but you could go to Psalm chapter 2. And there, the nations are doing what? They're shaking their fists at God. And they're saying, no way. We're not going to listen to you. We're strong. We're stronger than you are. We're better. We're better than you are. You're not in control. Look at us. We're in control. We have it all together. And what does God do on the throne? Do you remember his posture? He laughs at that. He's not threatened by it. He says, that's insane. And then he says, I'm going to send my anointed one to break them. Not because God is a vindictive God, not because he's an angry God and he doesn't love, but it's because he will break them to worship the Messiah and if they won't, they will forever regret it. But there will be a time that the Messiah, the anointed one, will be revealed and that all the world will bow their knee to him. And if they don't, they will be destroyed. And so what Jesus is saying here is a little different than what the disciples really think is going to happen next. How are you going to disclose yourself? How are you going to show us that you are the Messiah and not the rest of the world? To them, that's incompatible, right? Why? Because the next event is all the nations seeing and submitting to the Messiah. Does that make sense? And so here, Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about something else. He's not talking about his second coming. He's talking about something altogether different. And we see that in verse 18. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. Well, what's that coming? My friends, if Jesus were to die and remain dead... They would indeed be what? They would be orphans. But because Jesus lives, because He was raised the third day from the dead, they are no longer orphans. They never were. What are they? They're children of God. What are you, my friends? This morning, the resurrection hope, the provision of the resurrection is: we are walking around this earth no longer, never been, or never having been orphaned. Because we have a living Savior. Look at the next implication of the resurrection. After a little while, verse 19, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live. You also will live. Thomas! Put your hands here! No longer bound by nails up on a cross. I live. And that great resurrection hope means that you and I live too. So we can sing of the pain and of the struggle and of the hurt. We can walk through life and we can can be defeated at times in our own flesh with what we have to bear. With with the hurt in our lives. And some of you are struggling with that now. Some of you are, 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 are champions of walking through life having great difficulty, great abuse, great hurt. But yet the, the implications of the resurrection is we're no longer orphans. And no matter what happens on this old earth, we live Because Jesus lives. And he's not talking about just this life now, is he? He's talking about eternal life with the Father. So we see implications of the resurrection. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I'm the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Another implication of the resurrection is that you're going to keep on obeying me because you love me, because you believe in me. You know, if you go over to John chapter 20 for a second, I want to see that, show that reality of belief and of uh, the connection between belief and obeying. And you're going to have to bear with me. I don't have my notes. Uh, but let's just look at verse 1. We're not going to really hang out there, but this will help us. So this is the, this is the uh, chapter where we, we see the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ come to fruition here and on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early. This is John chapter 20, verse 1. She came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw a stone already taken away from the tomb. So Mary Magdalene's the first one to kind of see this, right? In verse 8, we see, So the other disciples who had first come to the tomb then also entered. That other disciple is John. And he saw. And what did he do after he saw? He saw. You see that you see so how the so how John connects the fact that he saw the empty tomb and because of that because of the power of the resurrection what did he do he believed And because of belief, Jesus says back in our text in John, don't turn there yet because we're not done John chapter 20, but because of our, because of our text back in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you're going to believe in me, you're going to love me. And if you're going to love me, you're going to what? You're going to keep my commandments. You're going to obey. You're going to look like it. And so there's a, there's a great implication for those of us who believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It changes our life. Because it's a miracle. It's supernatural. And if that's the case, we ought to, with all of our love and our feet, obey. We don't obey and then Jesus loves us. We love Jesus because he first loved us, and so then we obey. But our faith is bolstered by the very, by the very implications of the resurrection. And we see this in verse 9 of chapter 20, right? So the other disciple, verse 8, who had come to the tomb and then also entered, and he saw and he believed, for as yet... They did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They didn't quite understand it, but when they saw it, they believed, there's the power of the resurrection and a great implication there. Okay. All right, so as we turn back to John chapter 14 now, we see several of the implications of the resurrection and just how that will is a provision for us to be able to navigate and journey through the troubles of this world though we're not yet home and still persevere. And now we come to the second provision in verse 23 and following that Jesus gives. Jesus answered and said to him, this is to Judas, not Iscariot, if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him we already brought this up in the introduction. But the fact of the matter is, it is here that Jesus now very much correlates the fact that there is a special relationship with those who are in Jesus Christ. It's not just factual. My friends, it's not just factual. But it is as intimate, it is as such that it is, it is, it is a relationship With the Father, the Son, and Spirit. You know, I mentioned that families change because they hang around each other. Can you imagine if you treated your wife, or your husband, or your children like your relationship with them was essentially a shopping checklist? Right, a grocery list at the store. Sharla rarely sends me to the store because I typically will forget what's on the list and get so many other things that are not necessary and really not good for me. That may or may not be my strategy, so I don't have to get sent to the store so often. But you know what it's like especially if you're in a store and you don't, know, you don't know the store. You know, everyone knows what it's like, right? You have the list on your phone and you have to go down this aisle and you would have got that other item if you would have known it's on that aisle but three aisles down when you finally get to that item you realize, oh man, I gotta go back to that aisle and I gotta go over, all over the place. I'm not enjoying the store. I'm not looking at anything else at the store. I'm not even trying to make eye contact with anybody. I'm just trying to get in. I'm trying to get out and I'm trying to find what it is that I need. except for the things I don't need I know, I know, you, you caught that but some of us, we treat our relationship with the Father the Son, the Spirit like, check, I've gone to church check, I've read my Bible check, family said prayer at mealtime check, may even be on the nursery schedule that's like two checks How awful would that be if you checked, said I love you to my wife this morning? Checked, showed affection. That's not a relationship. That's literally checking a box. And what Jesus wants us to understand this morning is you and I, we have much more than just an ability to check a box. We have the Godhead And they want a relationship with us. And he says here, we are at home and we make our abode with anyone who loves me and keeps my commandments. So not only do we have the provision of the resurrection, but we have the provision of relationship. And all my friends this morning, I beg you, if if going to church is just a check mark, you will soon stop checking it. If that's all it is to you. If reading your Bible is just a goal to get through till December 31st, you will stop doing it between now and December 31st. Because it is hard. It is hard. But my friends, your relationship isn't did I check all the days of my Bible reading plan in the year. Your relationship is, oh, I need to go to the words of life. And so I pray that those here that just are check-marking a Christian life that you would wake up and you would see that there's so much more to who God is. And so we move on. Verse 24. Uh, nope, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. We see in verse 26 now the, set, the third provision it's a provision that we've already had in the discourse. It's a provision that we will look at again, but it's the provision of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we have the provision of the resurrection. Even though we're not here, excuse me, Even we are here. This is what happens when you don't have notes and you're trying to remember it in your head. Even though we are not with the Father and we are stuck here, we have great provisions. The resurrection a relationship, and now the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. But the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And because we're going to be looking at this and our time is growing short, um, there's a few things I just want to call to our attention. First of all, the very... Truth that He will teach you all things is related to how we've already been introduced to the Helper earlier on in this discourse. Do you remember that? Go with me back up to uh, verse sixteen. Jesus basically gets done telling his disciples that he's leaving. He's got a warrant for his arrest. Really, the next day he's going to be crucified in distress. And in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He uses that word in our text. In 26, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. If we go back to verse 26, and we understand how the spirit of truth really correlates to the fact that the Spirit will teach you all things, because He's the spirit of truth. And you may be a visitor this morning, you may, you may be here, and you may be sick of us always having to open up our Bibles, whatever it is. But the reality is is, we have the words of life, we have the truth in our hands. Because it's from the spirit of truth. It's proceeded out of his doing. And the spirit of truth in our text actually doesn't do anything new, does he? Look at what our text says it says, He brings to your remem- remembrance all that I said to you. I believe it's John chapter 2, verse 22. Go there. Because what's Jesus saying? John gives us a great example of that. This is one of several places, it is, thankfully, uh, where where Jesus says, or where John actually records for us that that there are times that the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. There are times that Jesus either, or or the disciples, they, they may have understood what he was saying, but they didn't quite get it or the significance of it. Or they didn't remember it. And so what is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit? It's so, verse 22, chapter 2, when he was raised from the dead, so here's another example of the power of the resurrection and and how it causes belief. His disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which which Jesus had spoken. Now I want to ask you a question. What was the difference there? This is after the fact of the resurrection. What's the difference? Why did they finally get it? And you, 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 you're walking through your life and you're wondering, boy, if I just had Jesus with me, given the live streamers a good example this morning of joystick control, right? Boy, if I just had Jesus with me as I'm going through life, I would get it. Right? As I'm sitting down here on the bench and I'm crying my heart out because of what just happened in my life, if Jesus were right next to me, I would get it. My friends, that's not true. That's a lie from Satan and from your flesh. That's not true from the scriptures. Because the disciples were rocking, walking right next to Jesus and they still didn't get it, folks. What was the difference? You tell me from our text, what's the difference? is the spirit of truth ministering to you. Binding you up in Jesus' words, saying, This is the truth. So, my friends, we may be 2,000 years removed from when Jesus walked on this earth, but we have the same spirit. We have the same capability to understand the scriptures and to take those scriptures and understand from our situation just what it is that God is trying to do. And we may not understand the big picture, but we can understand what God is trying to do to minister to our individual heart heart as we hurt. To let God grow us and make us more like his son. You can think there Romans chapter 8. And so we have the provision of the resurrection, we have the provision of relationship, we have the provision of the spirit of truth. And by the way, this, this spirit of truth, for some of you, is why you read your Bibles and you just don't get it, or you just don't care. Or it just doesn't seem to make much sense. And so what Jesus is asking us this morning to think through is, do I have a relationship with him? I have the spirit of truth who will help me understand and and not just understand but bring these things into my heart in a way that I will live for him and love him so the provision of the resurrection, the provision of relationship, the provision of the spirit of truth and finally this morning I got to get back to John chapter 14 so I can remember what that finally is It is the provision of the sovereign God and trusting in Him. You say, well, that's kind of an odd way to have a provision. Well, let's look at it here this morning. This is, I hope, a helpful thing. We'll read through the end of the chapter if you'll bear with me. Verse 27. The provision of the sovereign God. Peace I leave with you My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let them fear. You heard that I said to you, Go away, and I will come to you. But if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me or on me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. And what's interesting is that the very circumstances that caused fear and troubling, Jesus says, are the very circumstances that God wants right now the very circumstances that, I, that you need. What were those circumstances? Jesus says in verse 28, I'm going to go away, but I will come back. I will come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that if you would not only understand what is happening here, what God is doing, and, and how is Jesus going away, let's make sure we all understand. How is Jesus going away, folks? He is not going on an airplane cleanly across to the other side in the coming back. He is not going on a luxury cruise. He is not like, you know, the cute little family at the, at the curb waving grandma as she goes bye-bye. Thanks for coming, grandma. He is going to the cross. He is going to pay for your sins and for mine, and he doesn't deserve that. He is going to have unsufferable, uh, unspeakable suffering It will be bloody. And it will be death. And Jesus says, in the midst of that, you shouldn't worry. You shouldn't trouble. Don't miss what he says. What does he say? What does he say in verse 28? Those aren't the emotions you should have. What are the emotions? Joy! Jesus, really? That's something you can't say to anybody that's going through awful difficulty. Well, maybe not right away because you're not Jesus. But here's the truth, folks. The truth is that if you would have understood just how great the Father is, if you would have marveled at the greatness of my God, Jesus says, you would rejoice. You wouldn't see overbearing pain and you wouldn't see waves that crash and you wouldn't see distress and trouble. You would see what is right and what is good because I have a Father who is much greater than anything that is about to happen. And so the last provision is the provision that Jesus wants us to direct our feet and our attention to this morning and say, look, no matter what is happening out there or to the side, the Father is greater. The Father is greater. He is always good. That doesn't mean that my circumstances will always be good. But it does mean I have a Father who is greater. And so he says because of that, one of the implications of the sovereignty of God being, being taken hold of by any one life isn't just being able to sing some pretty powerful hymns or write them. It's someone who, look, verse 27, has peace. Peace, why? Why? Because the Father is greater. No matter what seems to be great in your life, the Father is what? Is greater. So you can have peace. It's not the kind of peace that's temporary. It's not the kind of uh, uh, a weak pseudo-peace that the world gives, Jesus says. He contrasts it with the peace, peace, peace. They're crying out for peace, and there is no peace. Because they don't know the greatness of the Father. In fact, they don't just know it, they're actually up against it. And Jesus says, know it. Your hearts will not be troubled. You can have joy. And then, frankly, folks, as we end, Jesus models that. Look at that in verse 31. Commentators, they don't don't know what to do with this. Get up, let us go from here. I think I know what to do with it. Jesus is just modeling what someone who trusts in the sovereignty of the greatness of God does in life. He's just perfect at doing it. He knows what's about to come. You know, typically trials catch us off guard. We're not prepared for them. We don't know the outcome of them. That's what makes it difficult. And folks, I'm not trying to, to say that if we, if we rest in these four provisions, our life's going to be just fine and, and nothing's going to be ever difficult in our lives. No, the, the very fact of the matter is we have to rest in these four provisions. Because we understand that this world is not our home. <laughs> that Jesus needs to go prepare a place for us, because if we were stuck here, we would be so miserable. That's true. This world does hurt. It does hurt. But Jesus says, trust in the sovereignty of God. He is greater than anything in this world. Come on, let's go. Get up from here. Let's go about my father's business. So I trust that something there was helpful today. As I can't pull up my notes, it's the sovereignty of God. But we have these four provisions. Can you remember them? We have the provision of the resurrection. We have the provision of relationship. A deep abiding relationship. We have the provision of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we have the provision of knowing and trusting in the sovereignty of God. That he is greater. He is greater than I, Jesus says. And so this morning, do you, can you confess in all times of your life that the Father is greater than me? Someone who has peace and joy regardless of the circumstances is someone who can say, God, the Father is greater than me. I trust that that is true in your life and that you know him the Savior, the Son. Father, this morning we thank you for our time in the Word of God. We trust that the Spirit of God would use it to minister to each heart in a way that, quite frankly, I cannot. But as we go from here today, well, Father, we pray that you would help us to walk in resurrection power, to have confidence that because you live, we live, Father, help us, help us to know and to not just know about you, but to know your presence and and the reality that that changes our life. Like Peter, we would say, where else can we go? You are our home. Father, this week as we go about life, we pray that the Spirit of God would indeed do a work helping us understand and live out the truths from Scripture. And, oh God, no matter what comes our way, because trouble will come. Frankly, this this passage, though we didn't have time to tease that out this morning, this passage indicates that that is true. Trouble will come. It will be a test to our faith. But those who readily submit that the Father is greater will always persevere. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.